Welcome to Make Mine Multiversity, the best podcast in our universe for exploring the Marvel multiverse. I'm Elias Rosner. And I'm Jana Hill. And this week we're wiving out over the latest and possibly greatest Howard the Duck series. Excelsior. So last time, for all those who are new and or joining us again, we read the original or bits of the original Howard the Duck series by Steve Gerber uh, and a slew of artists, primarily Gene Colan. Uh, but this time we are reading the most recent Howard the Duck series, uh, and we'll be getting into the you know breakdown of everything in just a second. But I've been really excited to read these. <laughs> I don't know about you. I've been e- well, I've been excited too. I mean, I so the first trades worth which the one that they now call a uh, volume zero mm-hmm. um that i own that i've read a couple of times that I, I go back to it it's very funny um but i before this reading i had not read the rest of the the series post secret wars oh interesting um and that's actually like i guess it's funny because i stand by with this opinion but the first time i read it i i felt kind of slight the the first trades worth it just felt like a silly little adventure which was very fun and funny and charming mm-hmm. but i guess i i didn't feel like that emotionally moved to come back to it to see what the story's conclusion was mm-hmm. yeah but i was so wrong yeah like i was uh when even when they were doing some moves at the end that i saw coming a mile away i was really feeling them <laughs> i was gonna say the the that second the second half of the series is that's a doozy and the first half is enough is no slouch either. No, it's all excellent. This is um, I'm very pushy, and I feel like I get more books on the list that, that are my ideas than yours. Mm-hmm. The last one I definitely, definitively remember being an Elias book that I had never read was uh, Moon Knight by uh, Lemire and Smallwood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that was like one of the best comics we read on the show, and this is as good as that one. I like to think I have good taste. Uh, only sometimes is that true. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, you like books that uh, I've recommended, so your taste can't be that great. But But here we are. Here we are. So, the Howard the Duck series um, was written by uh, Chip Zdarsky. So, this series was Chip Zdarsky's actually first major comic for Marvel, um, and I think his first major comic as a writer. So, prior to this, he had done one story for Marvel, and it was in the Original Sins anthology. I don't remember what it was. Original Sin was uh, kind of a a Jason Aaron-run event. wasn't very good. It was very weird. Basically, someone kills the Watcher, and then everyone's sins and stuff come out, and 95% of it's basically their attempt to do a bunch of retcons. Um, I think Original Sin's a 7 out of 10. I don't think Original Sin's a disaster, but there's definitely some whiffs in it. Yes. So, Original Sins was an anthology series where they kind of went into a bunch of these different ones. And one of them was written by Chip Chip Zdarsky. Um, But he was mostly known as that guy who draws sex criminals um, before this. Yeah, that's where I knew him from. I picked up sex criminals. I remember on that day at the comic stand, I was still buying my my floppies every week at the uh, comic store. Mm -hmm. I picked up sex criminals number one and rat queens number one on the same day. Mm Mm-hmm. And that was those were like a very exciting comics to me for a while. But Chip Zdarsky immediately from the art and sex criminals and uh, Elias, are you a sex criminals reader? I've read the whole series. The so the Chip Zdarsky famously put like a lot of background gags 
into the artwork there. Like, there's not a page where there's not some funny sign or some wacky person doing some ridiculous shit. Yeah, he loves it. And then in the... in, in the in the issues in the back, uh, they would have the letters pages, which I believe they called letter daddies. Yes, um, they did settle and, on that one. And um, and that's where uh, the writer Matt Fraction and artist Chip Zdarsky would like address the fans. And that letters page was like comic books own letters to Penthouse, where people just sent in these like wild, horny stories, and Zdarsky and Fraction would just react to them in the letters. And I mean, like. Uh, I've, I've, I've met each of them on a couple of occasions briefly, but, like, just from those letters pages, you're immediately like, oh, Chip Zdarsky is the most charming man on the planet. He is so fun and funny. <laughs> yeah, he's very good at funny, uh, in part because the whole Chip Zdarsky persona is a put-on. This is from his Wikipedia page, so I'm trusting Wikipedia and that one issue of crossover <laughs> that was actually good. Uh <laughs> He wrote one issue, right? Yeah, and that was his yeah, issue. I read that one. That was good. It was a good, good issue. issue. But he's, <laughs> uh, the, you know, he was like, I made this this comics persona as a, uh, you know, the the sad the sad comics dude, but funny. I once watched him kiss Brian K. Vaughn on the mouth. I hope it was consensual. <laughs> Brian didn't seem bummed about it. There we go. So that's uh, Chip Zdarsky. It's a wild place. Yeah, <laughs> Comic Con. I'm just very excited. So, what, this is interesting because uh, I didn't have a lot of this context. I haven't read back up on Chip Zdarsky. I remember him going from sex criminals to doing a bunch of Marvel work. Now he's doing Batman. So, like, clearly this is a guy whose star has risen. Not oh, that uh, yeah. doing Batman uh, means that you're successful and people who haven't done Batman aren't, but, like, it's definitely a sign that someone loves you. Yeah, if you're given Batman nowadays, like main Batman title, that, that he, means that they, th- they think you're popular. Oh yeah, and that your name means something. Yeah, and and uh, Zdarsky's done like an incredible body of work now with in all sorts of genres and tones. He, I've also kept up with a bunch of his image series. Like uh, he's got a series uh, called Stillwater, which is a very spooky kind of supernatural crime thriller mm-hmm. um but it's it tonally has almost nothing to do with howard the duck for example no. and it's just incredible that uh, like you're saying this is his first time writing and ongoing yeah as and far as i know no it is it's his first ongoing that he's writing it's one of the first like long-form stories he he writes and uh i was looking poking around like he had a few single issues maybe a mini series i couldn't really pinpoint it before this but you know, primarily as a writer, he may have drawn stuff um, more so, but this was his first real gig as a writer, uh, and he's blown it out of the water since. The closest <laughs> thing in tone to this is Captara that he's written, uh, which was an image comic series coming out somewhat contemporaneously to Howard the Duck uh, that got six issues and then ended and is now being resolicited through his Substack. Huh. Yeah, or not resolicited. He's got volume two. I didn't know that last part. I yeah, uh, that's a whole world of comics I have yet to explore. Well, it's coming to print through Image. All right, well that I will check out. Yeah, no, we should also talk about a couple of the other people on this crew. Uh, the main artist is uh, Joe Joe Quinones. Uh, or maybe Quinones, or maybe uh, Quinones. I don't know, only because Later when I looked it... it up, there are there are three different ways that I have seen potentially how to pronounce it. Um, 
Two of them are based on the jokes in this series, and one of them is based on a Twitter comics thread about pronunciation guides. But, like, they don't tell me how to pronounce the damn vowels. Um, I I was thinking Kinonis, because yeah. that rhymes with the jokes. <laughs> that was yes. where I was getting it. That was what I thought. I was like, it could be, it could be, there's one joke where it's Krenonis. Uh, yep. So I thought <laughs> it was Krenonis. And his, uh, and that's also how it's written out on his Instagram handle. Um, I think it's K-W-I-N-O-N-E-S. So. Um, and for me, Kanonis is just like a perfect art- comic, like superhero artist. He just is, um, there's, not only does he have a great style, but there's like a bunch of pitfalls, I think, that superhero storytelling often like lead artists into, and that's where he shines the most. Like, he can draw a mostly static background with like a couple of lines to give the impression of a room and a splash of color and it will be like perfect for what it needs to be. Yeah. Yeah. It never feels like, you know, you're sitting in a void. It's, it feels like you're sitting in front of a wall or, you know, it's the background recesses that you can see what's in the front. So, but and he's he's also he's great on at drawing like on model superheroes like his Spider Man yeah. perfect Spider Man stick that on a lunchbox. <laughs> uh, such great Spider Mans, such great Spider Mans. Um, so this he'd been drawing for Marvel since about two thousand nine two thousand ten. Uh, I could not pin down what the first issue he drew was. I was scouring wikis. The wikis didn't help me, but. He. This is also his first ongoing, although he'd previously drawn, uh, you know, a couple issues here or there, uh, like of Amazing Spider-Man and FF um, under Fred Van Lanty and Matt Fraction, respectively. But yeah, this was his first ongoing, and he knocked it out of the park. Yeah, that's kind of crazy because I think of him as such like a steady hand now. I guess I'm taking him for granted, but I shouldn't because he's a wonderful tre- a treasure. Exactly. And I wanted to bring up the inker because the inker primarily is Joe Rivera. And Joe is the father of more well-known artist Paolo Rivera because Joe Rivera does not have that many credits. I was looking, I was trying to find it. He's primarily an inker. And he doesn't do that much inking. He mostly just does inking on his son's work. <laughs> when when his son's like, please help me. I wonder. Yeah, I wonder what the story is uh, behind that. Yeah. with the uh, the Riveras. Yeah, because Paolo Rivera is prolific. Yeah, it's really interesting. But and and it's also thank you for like the uh, the inks and the colors in this artwork are tremendous, and yes. they really it's like such a good fusion for the the art team together. The there's a because there's a lot of um, thick bold lines in like a really old school Jack Kirby Steve Ditko superhero manner, and then the colors are using just like a little bit of a gradient uh, that you wouldn't have been able to get in those old comics that, that so you know immediately that it's modern coloring, but it's like perfect. It's because a lot of it is um, very bold colors that uh, are contrasted with the background, like. When She-Hulk is on the screen, then it's green. In the background, it'll be like a gold or teal or something to, to make her pop. Exactly. Tremendous art all the way through. <laughs> so let's talk about the, the kind of historical moment of this series. Uh, where, you know, where are we sitting? Where are we going? Um, all that good stuff. All that good, good stuff. Yeah, because it's really interestingly positioned it, with like the Marvel continuity stuff is pretty crazy now. Not, none of it lasted very long. No, none of it really did last that very long. So, basically, this series, it kind of... 
I couldn't find an origin story for it particularly. Like, it seemed like, um, you know, Zdarsky was approached, and there's like they were like, we want to make a series about Howard the Duck, and we want to bring him back for whatever reason. I mean, apocryphally, I feel like it's that Zdarsky was this uh, suddenly real hot, funny guy, and Howard the Duck is like a famously... Uh, thorny Marvel comedy character that not a lot of creators had been successful with. Yeah, and because he's kind of rough and tumble and, you know, sex criminals had that had a similar vibe in people's minds, you could, you know, put the two together. So, Howard the Duck starts publishing. We get five issues and then it's canceled. Kind of. Sort of. Every single book, as we have mentioned in previous episodes... Uh, in the middle of 2015, every single Marvel comic came to an end. Didn't matter if it was Amazing Spider-Man or some random book that had just gotten started with some wisecracking duck in a vest. Uh, and they all ended. Secret Wars happened. The end of the Marvel Universe. Then the Marvel Universe started back up again. And all the series, you know, came back with new number ones. From Sadly, what I understand... Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard in interviews, Jonathan Hickman, who wrote the Secret War event, um, takes credit for, uh, the decision to end everything. He was like, for this story to work, you need to cancel every book, and then you can bring them back all at number ones at the end of it. Uh, but that was like a demand he made, that editorial was like, okay, if you think that's what we need to sell the story. And, you uh, know, bold move, I honestly do like, well, I don't like it, but I get it. What annoyed me was they had to have known this more than six months in advance right which means why would you start all of these new series in the year that they're going to end five or six issues in this was the problem with a whole bunch of books this and unbeatable squirrel girl being two examples where they got five or six issues in and then you know, they ended and they had to start back up again, which means whenever we have to refer to them, we have to refer to it as 2015A and 2015B. And as a library professional, this makes Elias turn shades that humans should not be. I hate it. I hate <laughs> it's it. It's terrible. You're right to hate it. It's the, it is terrible. Um, fortunately, though, like that stupid decision will forever be immortalized as very funny gags in these books. Yes, and also very funny gags as the two uh, volume numberings, because everything pre-Secret Wars ended up getting collected in a volume zero, <laughs> and then volume one is actually post-Secret Wars. Uh, and, and then at some point, Civil War II obstinance. happened. That's what I would call that. Silly yeah. obstinance, which is so Howard. Oh my god, it really is. Um, but yeah, Civil War II happened at some point during the second half of the series. I don't know where, I don't know when, uh, in the final, uh, letters page, Chip was basically like, thank you, editorial, for allowing me to sidestep both Secret Wars and Civil War II. <laughs> so, I guess we can thank editorial for that, which is very nice, because Civil War II is a bit of a dud, and we really like Secret the least. Wars. Yeah. But that's enough talking about the wars, both secret and civil. What did we read this time? So, we read, for for those who have not read anything yet and want to walk away and find them all and come back with it, we read Howard the Duck 2015A, issues 1 through 5, 
Howard the Duck 2015B, issues 1 through 11, and The Unbeatable Squirrel Girl 2015B, number 6, because there was a crossover in the middle of the second season, season, series. Um, and these uh, are all collected in volumes yeah. 0 through 2 of Howard the Duck. So trade readers, nice and easy. There's also that nice omnibus that will probably only be on sale for the next four months, and then it will go out of print forever because Marvel sucks at keeping things in print. Yeah, that's it. the... That, it, be nice to your friends at your local comic shop and they can get you goodies. Yeah, it's... You'd think they would print more of a first printing to keep it around... If they're never going to print the hardcover again. This is a business that's reasons. been addicted to the concept of rarity for a couple of decades now. I, I think that uh, the idea of uh, satisfying consumers of this way is far from their minds. But they make no money from it. Huh? They make no money from the rarity. Well, they're owned by the Disney Corporation. You can uh, make a irresponsible business <laughs> when you have uh, mouse daddy. Money. Yeah. Anyway, Disney should be broken up, and we're moving on to the creator rundown. <laughs> Please. Uh, so the series was written by Chip Zdarsky with Ryan North for the one Unbeatable Squirrel Girl issue. The great uh, Ryan were... North. Hmm? The great Ryan North. We love Ryan North around these parts. We do parts. love Ryan North. Uh, I don't know if you read these or if they're even collected in the trades, because I read these in individual issues, but... The first series had Gwenpool backups, written by Chris Hastings, drawn by Daniello Bayruth, colored by Tamara Bonvillane, and uh, lettered by Travis Lanham. I did, did not you? have those in my trade. They were oh. uh, I read the trades that were collected on Hoopla, which mm-hmm. we love around these parts as well, and um, yep, no Gwenpool, which is a shame because I love Gwenpool. Oh, I hated it. Anyway, I didn't read these. I've never read these backups, but the character Gwenpool delights me. I, I have complicated relations with Gwenpool, but these backups I did not like at all. Well, I'm sorry Even that your uh, parade got rained on because uh, everything I read was perfectly delightful. Yeah. I mean, I knew once I saw it, I went, oh, right. I think they were still trying to find the voice, and it, it didn't shine through here. But that's a conversation for another time. Uh, the uh, all, all of the issues were well, most of the issues, were penciled by uh, Joe Quinones uh, at, with guest artists in the as backups in the first set uh, by Rob Guillory, Jason Latour, and Katie Cook with colors by Heather Breckel. Um, issue 2015B, number two, was drawn by Veronica Fish, and the art on issue 2015B, number seven, was by Kevin McGuire. I really like that one. Kevin McGuire was good. He was very good. Um, all the issues were inked by Joe Rivera, with these exceptions. Um, the, he was joined by Paolo Rivera on 2015A, number 5, 2015B, number 9, Rick Magyar on 2015B, number 4, Goran wow. Suzuka on 2015B, number 5, Mark Deering on 2015B, number 6, and 2015B, number 9 through 11, uh, and Joe Quinones uh, issues... 2015b 6 and then 8 through 11 so that's a lot that's a of lot creators? of uh, i mean we've read a lot of comics and it's a lot of like 2010s comics these 2010s comics would just uh, churn out artists here and there yeah i feel like artists found out that they weren't supposed to be drawing an issue halfway between like through penciling it <laughs> it was Correct. crazy this was a crazy yeah. couple of years for this 
very crazy. Uh, as for the colors, they were all of 2015A was colored by Rico Renzi. Um, he also colored Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, the issue we're reading, um, and was joined by Rochelle Rosenberg on 2015A number four. And then 2015B was entirely colored by Joe Quinones and was joined by Jordan Gibson on issues five through 11. Um, they are a team that have worked together basically since. Um, and it, they were all lettered by Travis Lanham. Good work, Travis. Oh, that was e- potentially worse than last time's OG Howard the Duck in terms of complicated. Well, at least this time there doesn't seem to be like a lot of lawsuits and bad blood between the creators. Everyone seems to be friends. Yeah, it seems like it was the usual Marvel churn instead of weird Marvel churn. So... Are we ready to talk about pre-Secret Wars, Howard the Duck? I sure am. <laughs> uh, it's it's very funny to be returning. Like, I'm happy that we did it the way we did, because it's very funny to be picking up Howard here, because it really does seem to be, like, succeeding the 70s run, even though I've read some comics here and there with Howard in it since. Mm-hmm. Um, this, this is like a s- sequel to the Gerber run, and does a really good job at doing um, what I feel like Howard was never allowed to do, and just, like, making him a Marvel character. He still has his perspective and everything, but, like, every issue is he meeting up with some other beloved Marvel face. Yeah. And, like, the first issue of 2015A is chock full of those faces. You've got Spider-Man, you've got Black Cat, you've got the Gatherer. I don't know who that guy is. He's some some random guy. You got She-Hulk. You got Rocky Raccoon. You got weird space aliens. You've got it all. Yeah, and it's also um, all of this series uh, and the the from the beginning to the end volumes zero through two um, are very tied into like what was contemporary Marvel continuity. If not the stories, the costumes and the statuses mm-hmm. and. What's so delightful about this is when you're reading old good comics and there's like weird continuity stuff in them, mm-hmm. whether it's that um, uh, James Rhodes is Iron Man or um, Captain America is old or like what have you, um, yeah. the good comics will just make that, you'll be like, oh, I guess that's happening elsewhere and I thank you for telling me if you like appreciate it. And what this comic does is it just takes the piss out of all of it. It's just like, oh, this is a stupid decision. Oh, this was a... And that's, again, what Howard was kind of situated to do in the 70s, um, but didn't do in actuality all that often. Yeah. And it's less Mad Magazine style, you know, taking the piss out of everything, which I think we even commented on last time. It's like the, the difference in the way commentary and, you know, the relationship to continuity is. It's less kind of like lampooning the thing by making the thing look ridiculous. And it's more of lampooning the thing by, you know, constructing funny scenarios and then commenting on it a little bit. It's 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 more modern in terms of the way it's handling it. And yeah, Zdarsky does excellent work with the comedy here. Yeah, this series, I laughed out loud frequently, and even when I wasn't laughing out loud, I think it's that everything is at this, like, minimum baseline level of charming. Mm-hmm. Um, like, uh, I'm just, can I give you a random example of something that I wrote down from a later issue? Do it. 
there's a point where Howard is teaming up with the Guardians of the Galaxy, which at that time includes uh, Ben Grimm, the Thing, which was one oh, of those yeah. like crazy continuity things where I was like, oh yeah, the Thing was on the Guardians while I wasn't reading that book for a bunch of issues. <laughs> And I wasn't reading, I mean, I, I read the first couple issues and I really didn't like the Bendis' stories or his voice for those characters and I fell off of it. And yeah, then was I was this reading pre the, or post Black Vortex? This is post Black Vortex Bendis. Okay. Um, but then you're, I'm getting like uh, the thing is bouncing off of uh, Agent Venom who's on this team and like Rocket Raccoon is there and they're all like a ton of fun together and I wanted to read a book about them but then was sad when I remembered that Chip Zdarsky didn't write it uh, Bendis did and Kitty Pride Zdarsky's Kitty Pride was very funny um, but specifically it was like there was a moment I wrote down when um, the thing just says his catchphrase he says oh, what a revolt and development mm-hmm. and then um Rocket Raccoon's like, uh, Thing, I thought we agreed you weren't going to say that anymore. And then Thing says, well, what else am I supposed to say at a development this revolting? <laughs> and that didn't make me laugh out loud, like A-plus joke, but like that's what every line is like, is like made me smile like that. Everyone was like acting familiarly or unfamiliarly, um, but like the jokes were capturing essential truths about the Aunt May, and uh, P- his Peter Parker is so funny just so guilty at anything that happened while he was out of the room the this is potentially the definitive peter parker of the era i know you (laughs) love slot but like chip zadarsky doing peter here and then in spectacular spider-man for those few issues perfect absolutely perfect yeah and these comics uh reminded me how much i like those ones that i like like i um at one point Peter Parker comes over and he's the CEO of Parker Industries and we're in the worldwide era. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was like, worldwide is kind of fun. And uh, and Chip Zdarsky captured what was really good about it where uh, Peter is t- saying the way his style of running a corporation where he tries to make uh, good low-cost products for uh, like an underserved consumer market. Hmm. I didn't know that. I didn't know that's what worldwide was about. I've I've only read the first volume and even that I remember hazily through the mist of like 30 trades on a table. Yeah. Yeah, but that's the thing is what I while I like that comic and I would be happy to revisit it, um the real thing that was fun was how Zadarsky effortlessly breezily just gets what is making his colleagues' comics good and then he can just capture its essence in like a page or two. Or uh, do a better couple of pages than if you went back and read those comics, as with Guardians. Yeah, and I guess here is kind of the first... Well, the, we this is, you know, Bendis Guardians, uh, which are more reflective of the movies. And the team feels a lot like the movie ones, but also clearly making fun of the characters themselves. Like In issue two, Gamera and Peter are kind of, you know, they're bantering. But Gamera is like, did you name our ship? an acronym and he's like yeah it's the cool interstellar travel travel ship acronyms are hard and yeah just replies idiot yeah that's that's the movie dynamic not what we were used to from the long time we spent reading the guardians comics no but uh, it's like pretty charming it is and i, I he doesn't really get into it because he doesn't need to because they're kind of they're just kind of there to be a vehicle for howard quite literally they're there to transport Howard from where he was kidnapped back to Earth. Um, but in this, I think he also shows he starts to show something that a lot of us 
at least I kind of missed at first with Zdarsky was the humanism and the, you know, the really the tenderness beneath all of the, you know, sardonic wit. Totally. Yes. Yes. This is important. I'm just thinking Uh, of, or I'm looking at the last two, not the last, but there's two panels midway through um, issue two of this first half. And it's, you know, Howard the Duck is berating Peter for leaving all of the prisoners behind on the planet. Uh, and and then he's, you know, he's freaking out and he's like, promises. And then it's just him looking out of a window and he just looks so distraught that like, and he just says, you can't just leave people behind. You can't. And I'm like, Zdarsky gets Howard and he's not just there to kind of like, you know, a lot of the cynicism is a bit of a defense mechanism because he's been, you know, he's been left alone. This is, this isn't his world. He's stuck here and he's made the most of it. And it's, you know, his personality has always been very gruff, but he's like, you see how much this hurts him because he cares and because it's so personal. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's funny because when you're reading the old Howard the Duck, this is kind of how you think he's going to be going into it, and you're kind of yeah. disappointed when he fall, in the ways that he falls short. Mm-hmm. When he's, like, a little bit more mean-spirited or dim-witted than, than you hope he is. Yeah. But here, Howard is exactly... Like, this is the perfect version of this character where um, he's totally unlucky, he's totally put upon, he's very cranky about it all the time, and that's the the main joke that they repeat over and over again. <laughs> Um, but he is that he earns his place as hero of the story. He like does a bunch of like really deeply decent things. And in classic superhero style, while the guest stars are, um, are being the worst versions of themselves and like overlooking people (laughs) in need. So Howard can notice and point out how much, uh, down to earth, more down to earth he is. Um, we should say that for these first, uh, set of issues, it's the, the new status quo for Howard is that he is a private detective, a duck detective, which um, made me think of Gravity Falls every time. <laughs> um, True. He, Howard, and by which I mean Ship Zdarsky, tries to make a new catchphrase work, which is case closed, but he never knows when to say it. No, he doesn't. <laughs> you're just saying that it, the joke happens so many times that the way you're just like, yeah, it's so obvious that he, he doesn't understand what that means. Um, but... Uh, Throughout the Madcap Adventure, which, uh, what's the name of the MacGuffin? The, um... It's just a necklace. But it's like, uh, the fake Infinity Glove. Oh, oh, the Abundant Gauntlet. The Abundant Gauntlet, thank you. I th- I think it's Abundant Glove. Or... Oh, no, you're right, you're right, the Abundant Glove. The Abundant Glove. Um... Yeah, there's, like, a totally madcap adventure, and he's running into all sorts of, like, outer space guys. And Zdarsky does a great job at capturing some of the successes of that earlier Gerber stuff, where, like, um, Howard watching an alien rampage now felt a lot like, uh, what was uh, one of those funny alien invaders from from the the Gerber stuff? Oh, uh, Turnip Man. Yeah, yeah, like Turnip (laughs) Man. Just, uh... Silver Surfer, whoever rampaging around, and Howard uh, being overwhelmed by this, it had the exact same vibe as that Turnip Man story. Yeah. Um, and throughout this adventure, How- Howard teams up with Tara Tam. Tara, Tara, Tara. And I okay. Here's where I'm gonna. This era, I think, is kind of st- overstuffed with this archetype of character. Y- you are correct. There's I still a lot love of, this character. 
yeah, well, that, that's going to be the end of my sentence, don't you worry. And I love <laughs> a lot of these characters, actually, but there's a lot of, I'm going to say, mostly well-meaning bisexual men. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, it describes a lot of the comic book writers uh, who are doing this. Um, and I don't know a, a lot of their uh, their uh, That is the vibe vibes. you get. But that's a but there's this cool girl who is like a Doctor Who companion to the main hero who kind of triggers the uh, adventures. Um, they even mention uh, when they bump into Silver Surfer, they talk about his sidekick Dawn, who uh, was uh, one such example of a character like this. Yeah. Um, and it's, and that's, not, that's like it's been something that's been around for a long time. Like Shade, the Changing Man, had this had a similar dynamic way back when. It, it's That's not DC specifically. Still, but. It's not just the um, having like a female sidekick to a male hero because uh, like Rocket and Icon fits that dynamic pretty well too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's that the hero sidekick is like this like cool, desirable millennial uh, or like coded millennial early twenties in the twenty tens. Who was, and often that person had like geeky interests or a Tumblr account or whatever, just like things that like exemplified comic book fandom of the time. And they would be like this weird self insert, but not self insert, like fan character inserts mm-hmm. of like, um, what if there was like a really well put together geeky girl who was following around? Um, I was about to say Punisher sarcastically, but Punisher had one of these too in the Rick Remender series. Not the Rick Remender series, the um, the uh, Greg Rucka series. Huh. Uh, we were stupid with these in the 2010s, and they're all like these uh, young, down-to-earth women who uh, are good for deflating the male hero. Hmm. <laughs> um, that being said, not only is Tara great, like, she's so much fun and uh, kicks so much ass, by the end of Volume Zero, we learn her secrets. And that, to me, is the only, like, notable big story beat in Volume Zero, right? Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty episodic. Each one is kind of an excuse to just have fun with random villains and random scenarios, kind of like the early issues of OG Howard the Duck, because issue two, you know, issue one, it's him kind of running around, you know, getting the status quo uh, figured out, finding uh, Tara. Oh, he's hired to, to steal the steal the necklace from from Black Cat, and then he gets transported to another planet. Uh, he has a, his space adventure, and then he's back on Earth, where uh, a bunch of old people are robbing <laughs> robbing people, and it opens with Aunt May's got a gun. <laughs> which, which, but by the way, <sighs> in the Ultimate Universe, Aunt May with a gun is definitively what killed Norman Osborn. Aunt May shoots him in the head. Uh, oh, what? We read Ultimatum. It happens shortly after Ultimatum. Oh my God. Okay. Just well, like I, it's very funny in this comic, and I like um, Chip Zdarsky choosing Aunt May as a character to be a supporting in the supporting cast of Howard the Duck is like incredible. It truly is, especially again. I can't get over the final splash page of issue two. It's just her swearing, and it says, "Next, Aunt May's got a gun. Does she know how to use it? Yes." <laughs> Um, another good time with Evil Aunt May that I have to mention is at the very beginning of the Dan Slot run when Mr. Negative is first introduced. Mm-hmm. Mr. Negative uses his powers to make Aunt May evil, and she becomes Anti May, and she does the opposite of everything you would expect a kindly Aunt May to do. It's very good. Oh my god, that's amazing. Dan Slot run is good. We should have to read it one day. <laughs> that is pretty good. 
So, and then the third one is the Ringmaster, which I guess was a villain that showed up in one of the old Howard the Duck comics, one of the ones we didn't read, according to the editorial box. Yeah, and Ringmaster, uh, he would fight the heroes for hire in the 70s sometime, mm. and, like, he, uh, they tried to make him gritty and fight Daredevil. He's uh, like, uh, yeah. Ringmaster's, Ringmaster's not actually as bad as his look and name would have you think, but he's not great either. No. So, Ringmaster, he stole the, you know, the, the necklace, which had a... which had one of these gems and it turns out Talos the tamer wanted a scroll was hunting it down and wanted it uh that was issue three I don't know what I don't remember Talos the tamer's deal I don't know why I'm blanking on his stuff it's not that because it's not that important ah there we go that would do it uh so then issue four is just learning about the abundant glove which for my money is one of the best takedowns of the infinity gauntlet (laughs) just great stuff he meets up with dr strange we get some fun ditko-esque you know ridiculousness as well as some more takedowns of dr strange uh and wong good stuff more more deflations i'd say oh yes yes deflations because they never really feels like they're being like taken down a peg it just feels like they're being they're being poked at like the the seriousness of of all the stuff of comic books is being poked at without kind of being looked at with an ironic ironic eye roll like look how stupid this is it's more like look how ridiculous this is it's so much fun i i have a move on to issue five and then i want to i i have a something that i think sums up okay I do want to read what makes up the abundant go- the abundant glove. Yeah, well, the abundant glove has has gems. You see, and yes. the gems are uh... <laughs> the gems are compassion, laughter, dance, respect, and a second dance gem. <laughs> Individually, yeah, you... they do very little, but together they can make someone marginally powerful. That's yeah. That's cl- that Gerber is rolling around wherever he's kicking around these days. <laughs> That yeah. he didn't write that joke because that's such a joke Gerber would have overwritten. It probably would have. And we get some Fantastic Four stuff. We get this fun colored flashback too. So, Jokinonis does excellent homages, especially when partnered with good colorists. And you saw, if you ever read Dial H for Hero at DC, you've seen this, but we get an example of it here when they flashback to the original Secret Wars, which is a great way i just love i love how <laughs> i love this i love this whole moment for it so makes many those reasons. moments feel historic that because uh when they're when you're flashing back to it it looks like the comic did when it came out yes and it, that's like um it makes those those images seem legendary and when it's done poorly it can really like deflate the power you're hoping those moments can have but like infinity gauntlet is a well-drawn well-written comic so that's not the case yeah but we're he specifically flashes back to secret wars in this secret wars tie-in but not the <laughs> secret wars you're thinking of and it's not really a tie-in to either one of them <laughs> that's the kind of, that's the kind of multi-layered humor you get from howard the duck uh, but then issue four ends and we've got, you know, Talos the Tamer. He has assembled the abundant glove uh, and and issue five comes and it's, you know, time to try and take him down. And um, 
if my right, issue like will the... load. <laughs> well, there's like the final battle stuff is funny, but it's uh, and but it's, it's also um, it's fun having Howard. Um, I'm trying to like, uh, is this where he meets Squirrel Girl for the first time? I think His... so. Yeah, she's on the cover, and the cover is homaging all of the other uh, last. You know, I forget what the the tie-in. Branding. Last days. Yeah, last days. Uh, where everyone is running towards new, you know, running towards the battle and he and Tara are running away. <laughs> great little, great little gag. But um, yeah, the he beats, this is the first time he meets Squirrel Girl because I think she was, if not on the all new, all different Avengers, she was just, you know, it's New York. So she's yeah, around. Yeah, she's a, she's a student here. And then we find out that um, Tara is actually a scroll. Well, not kind quite. Of. Uh, so, Elias, have you ever read any of the Scroll Kill no. Crew comics? If it's the '90s, and it has there's anything been... related to Punisher potentially, no. Uh, there, uh, there's been recent revivals of the concept as well. Yeah. Uh, but the Skull Kill Crew, which uh, Kill and Crew are, of course, the most spelled with K's, like Mortal Kombat. Of course. Um, is from, um, so have you've read early Fantastic Four, right? Fantastic yeah, and Four. we even talked about it in the Kree-Scroll War. That's right, because they mention it there too, but the way Reed Richards uh, defeats the Skrulls originally is he tricks them into turning into cows, and then those cows are made into hamburgers, and then a bunch of people eat those hamburgers, and then get Skrull shape-shifting powers. And it turns out that's what Tara has been this entire time, is she's wait, had shape-shifting... Wait, 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 wait. When did that happen? Wait, that's what that's what Skull Scroll Kill Crew is. That's what Skull Krill Crew is. Yeah. Oh. It's humans who ate Scroll Burgers by mistake because the the fake McDonald's <laughs> Corporation just thought it was beef, and they accidentally got infused with Skull powers. And then uh, the Skull Krill Crew usually is trying to get vengeance on Skrulls and other aliens or shapeshifters. Oh um, my god. They're like an over-the-top vigilante band that looks like Mad Max Punishers who can shapeshift and do silly shit. Oh my god. And so that's what Tara is. Tara is, um, the Skull Kill crew is a central group of characters who find each other, and and they're seen briefly here, but Tara is just like another person who never got involved in wearing Mad Max shoulders and killing aliens. Until now. she's kind of wearing Mad Max shoulders now. She would fit right into the Kill crew. I honestly don't know why she uh, turned to Howard, but I'm happy she did. Yeah, me too. And again, the panels where, where... Howard finds out <laughs> what happened. So the last of the scrolls, apparently there was one that got caught that wasn't the one that escaped. Got turned into a duck. Oh, <laughs> that's right. And she ate the duck. She ate the duck. And she ate the duck, and that's how she got her scroll powers. And then Howard just has to live with that. Yeah, he freaks and... out. He has a little bit of... He, he's just, like, in the fetal position going, Wah, what he finds <laughs> out. <laughs> and while the the first volume was, like, you know, it's, it's, like, a fun read, but it didn't really leave an impression, I really like this ending. And I guess what I, I lacked was I didn't think they would have the faith to keep giving Tara an arc, but she's yeah. a great character throughout the next uh, couple of volumes. Yeah, and this is also where things get far less, where where Zdarsky, I guess, has the confidence and the leeway to start to do things in a much more experimental and, I was going to say, in a way that a longer 
ongoing series can afford itself. So it well, mm-hmm. it's marrying these two things because uh, while it's very like funny and kind of wholesome, and you could give it to um to a young reader to a teenager, I think would find this pretty fun. Mm-hmm. Um, the it also like the plot would really fit in in like a '90s Vertigo comic. It gets kind of psychedelic and fictional, and yeah. like um, but the tone reminds me most of something I bet you haven't seen, but maybe our listeners are familiar with, which is the cartoon series Star Trek Lower Decks. I have not seen that. Well, uh, I happen to, to live with somebody who uh, d- never has liked Star Trek but watched Lower Decks. And what Lower Decks is is a lot of, like, Star Trek in-jokes. It's like making fun of Star Trek lore. But it's done so lovingly. And the the way they're making fun of it is making fun of the way fans obsess over something like um, how— There's one episode of Lower Decks, for example, where there's a creature that they're rounding up called a Mugatu <laughs> or a— uh, or has many other names because in the original 60s episodes, none of the cast members could agree how to pronounce the alien's name. So they say it differently throughout. <laughs> and then the joke in the episode becomes that it, uh, that's actually part of their alien culture. And in order to be inclusive, you should like mix it up a little bit when you refer to their species. So uh, characters in the same sentence will pronounce it differently. Oh my and, goodness. And something like that makes you laugh and understand why somebody would love Star Trek is obsessing over stupid details like that and, like, the ways in which it's clever, the ways in which it's dumb. And yeah. that's the way in which this comic is is uh, deflating a lot of Marvel continuity stuff. It's a lot of, like, who would win or, like, um, wouldn't it be funny if... And then they do, like, a little continuity thing and now you're stuck with Weapon 2 being an adamantium squirrel beast. That was... that's. That was great. That's real. In in real serious Wolverine comics now, they have to find a way to like make that match the tone, and that's just part of continuity. And that Good. irreverence and that like setting up future stories to like you know clown on uh, self serious <laughs> writers is like beautiful to behold. It really is. I forgot that 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 was that he was called Weapon Two. I was like, oh, it's Cable Cable Squirrel. No. No, that's the that's the little visor from uh, the um, Weapon X, uh, the famous Weapon X story from the '90s with the beautiful art. Yeah. Wow. Oh my goodness. The Barry Windsor Smith uh, Weapon X. Oh um, no, I I was thinking of two different squirrels. There's the ca- there's cable <laughs> there's cable squirrel who shows up in the space episode as just like a cameo in the background, and then there's Weapon Two who shows up in the second half of the series. Yeah, I'm getting ahead of ourselves. Do you want to maybe take a commercial break and then we can get back uh, into the the back half of the series where things really get going? I mean, we probably should. (laughs) (laughs) Well, then we'll see you on the other side, gentle listeners. Hello, podcast listeners. We're the hosts of the DC3Cast. I'm Zach. I'm Vince. And I'm Brian. Each week, we discuss most of the new releases from DC Comics, focusing mainly on Rebirth, Wildstorm, and Young Animal. We also look at the news of the week, discuss the film and television adaptations of DC material, and dig into industry rumors. We've also had a number of DC creators on our show, like Scott Snyder, Jim Lee, Christopher Priest, Steve Orlando, and Joshua Williamson. So, if you like Borat jokes, no bad to end the Dio impressions, this is bad, what the f***? and an in-depth look at DC each week, join us every Wednesday morning at multiversitycomics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. Come get Jurgens with us and welcome back 
we are talking about Howard the Duck, a fractured series by Chip Zdarsky with a slew of artists, including Joe Quinones, and now we're getting to the post-Secret Wars uh, part of the series. We, The universe has been reset, ISO 7 has become ISO 8, hmm. and uh, Howard the Duck has rebooted exactly where he left off. Kind of. Sort of. We get a three-month time skip. Fun! Yeah, three month, which is the, the length that the event was supposed to take to come out, but was delayed, and then Howard the Duck had to come out anyway. Yep, but that's okay, because we get some very pretty panels, some very fun intros. Howard the Duck gets a new hat, and then he loses his new hat. It was very exciting. They told me to be excited about the hat, and I was like, okay, if you say so. You got a new hat. That's the most exciting thing. I love new hats. Oh, but he um, gets a second new hat. And it's Pobody's <laughs> Nerfect in Florida. That's right. And there's some pretty, like, 2000... When did this come out? 2017? 2016? Um, yeah, to, well, to, no, 2015. 2015B. Right. There's some very 2015, um... Uh, like, Florida jokes that felt very 2015 to me. They also run into what looks exactly like, um... Seuss from Gravity Falls? Oh, they do... Did you, did you catch does. that? It's like Seuss from Gravity Falls is He's in a Florida truck stop. Yeah, it, well, it's an exclamation point here instead of a question mark, but it's the shirt. Yeah, he's, he's Seuss's uh, sad Florida cousin. Yeah. And we, um, get, we get introduced to, he's not named here, but, oh, he is named. We get Biggs the Cat. Yeah, so Biggs the Cat starts and then increasingly becomes a very funny riff on... Uh, Grant Morrison and Frank Quietly's We Three? Was that as a, did that jump out to you immediately as well? It did. Well, it didn't immediately because I read this first and then I read We Three and I went, oh. <laughs> yeah, We Three is pretty much, like, We Three is the comic I've seen most often used to, like, teach basic, perfect comic storytelling. Um, it's not that We Three is such a brilliant idea for a story, it's just like, or that it's like, uh, saying something so profound about the human condition, but just like as panels and images telling sequential stories, mm-hmm. We Three is perfect. And Zadarsky obviously agrees, and Kinona's and every and company obviously agree because uh, Biggs the Cat it gets increasingly We Threed. Yeah, I love Biggs the Cat. Biggs the Cat. I love great. Biggs the Cat too. And Biggs the Cat has a major role to play in the uh, finale. Oh yeah, for sure. And this, the first issue of 2015B is setting up a lot of things. It's setting up the new status quo. It's setting up, you know, a bunch of stuff we missed, but not like kind of hinting at the fact that we missed it and we'll get to it at some point. Um, Because, you know, sometimes you do a time skip and you don't always go back to fill in those gaps. And then sometimes you'll, you know, you'll get a flashback at some point. But here... They just keep referring to, like, uh, adventures that you know are real, but then just, like, also they keep on talking about the daytime werewolves <laughs> and the t- and a tiny billionaire. I guess there was a tiny billionaire eventually, but they just keep on mentioning uh, Howard's adventures that, like, you're like, I did I miss that comic? Was it a comic? And they even, like, cite fake, the, the editor notes are sometimes are like, I have no idea what he's talking about. Yeah, the, those are great. So, um, I, I want to give a special shout out. of time. Good stuff. Yeah. Special um, shout out to um, Titania and the Wizard are in the Florida Swamp, and Titania and the Wizard are just like wonderful, stupid Marvel villains that I love. It's, I'm sorry, is Titania and Bentley? 
And Bentley. That's, <laughs> that's right. Wait, no, he legally got his name changed to Wizard, I thought. Uh, oh, no. Yes, he did. He did. Is established in this comic. And yeah, and now uh, we know that Bentley, uh, the wizard, Bentley Whitman, is just Wizard Whitman. Wizard. Wizard. And they're, um, so they're, they're messing around with the nexus of all realities, which is what Howard had originally fallen through. And Howard wants to go into the Nexus, and you know, Doctor Strange was like, use the Abundant Glove, you should be able to get through, somehow. Um, There's some very nonsense comic book, like, mystic, fake, science, quantum crap that they just do with a bunch of, like, babble, and yeah. it's well, so well done. You completely get what you need to know for the story, and it's, like, pretty fun, stupid shit. <laughs> and also the artwork is great with, like, the weird pylons and the lightning shooting everywhere and the astral projection. And the wizard, because he's such a goof, just calls it the wizard's hole. <laughs> and everyone's like, oh, Bentley. That's so Bentley. Yeah, yeah. and again, a compliment I can't stop paying this book enough is wizard shows up in this and if this is your first time encountering the wizard you're just like where's this he keeps on like alluding to other things he's got going on like how um he'll never impress his clone son who uh he wants to be his partner in evil crime mm-hmm. and just like you hear that and you're like yeah 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 where's that comic and it's a good jonathan hickman fantastic four comic that he's re- referring to but like you immediately want him to show up and fight spider-man every week <laughs> he's so charming he is he, he is off Especially this t- it, in bleh, here, here. That's the word. Uh, um, but then he gets squished by by Howard. <laughs> by Howard and by uh, Tara. Uh, I don't think Tara lands. No, Tara lands safely next to next to them with her stretchy hands, which reminds me. I'm she. Zdarsky definitely took some inspiration from Ms. Marvel in terms of how her powers work. Yeah, and which I, is I appreciate because, that. Yeah, because those are the, the funnest stretchy powers. They really in the are. Um, the last page of this, like, so this issue just like straight bop. It's just like we're battling the wizard in mm-hmm. the swamp. Um, ends with the cliffhanger of this new duo, uh, a lady duck and a lady raccoon with a big ray gun, who look a lot like Howard and Rocket. Yeah, uh, if they were crossed with Rosie the Riveter. <laughs> Yeah, with a little bit of a Rosie the Riveter look I'm noticing now. Um, and their names are Linda and Shocket. Is that correct? Yes. yes. Uh, um, so uh, the next issue is the Linda and Shocket origin story. And I thought this issue was breathtaking. I concur. It, it, it helps that it was drawn by Veronica Fish, at, whose art... I absolutely adore. I love it. Everything it's in, everything her art is in, from Sabrina to Archie to this yeah. to Blackwood, I will read any comic with Veronica Fish on art. Fantastic. Uh, good at everything I was complimenting Kinones for, and also just like, this is such good sequential images, storytelling. And the panels flow so nicely. The big, uh, It's a big moment. It's got a big panel. Uh, it's a quick moment. It's got a lot of some fast panels. And also, it's nice that it's separated out visually from the rest of the comic because it, you know, it serves a purpose beyond just, you know, we needed a different artist here. And I think all of the major artist changes, other than, sadly, you know, inker and colorist, 
I think those were all measured choices instead of just, you know, we need to fill an artist. Like it may have served that purpose as well, but it was a good, like they used it well. Um, ultimately I also just shout out to her little crocodiles with funny hats. They're amazing <laughs> alien designs. Yes. Um, but so what ultimately this issue is extremely convoluted and like, I guess we could go blow by blow into the quantum mechanics of this time travel scheme, but it's ultimately like the, the, the time movements through time are less important. What's so interesting to me, I mean, they're great. It's very fun time travel bullshit, but what's great is that, um, these two new characters of this duck and raccoon who are sisters and like smugglers are teamed up with their adoptive dad. Who's one of the collectors, just like servants. Yeah. One of the gatherers, one of the gatherers. Yeah. Baby Linda is so adorable. Those Uh, eyes. They're both so cute. There's, adorable i want plushies of every monster in this yeah and every creature um but just like what blows my mind is not only by the end of this am i like yeah yeah i'm i want to read the rest of this linda and shocket story um their dad was just like such a good comic book dad who ultimately needs to uh bite it so that his superhero kids can like uh seize their destiny and we could do the hero's journey Mm -hmm. but just like um i cannot enough compliment a comic that can get me to uh, invest so deeply emotionally in characters with a single issue just through like a really well put together comic yeah you you will probably be crying by the end of this issue yeah fantastic and then we then we finally get kind of a a fill-in for what happened at the end of the first howard the duck portion the pre-secret wars uh that one page where they visit an oracle and it's like who is that what's going on we kind of get a reveal we figure out what it was and it was shocked and linda uh trying to find the nexus of all realities and it turns out that howard the duck has become a living nexus whoops and that's such a thing that again perfect gerber uh thing having howard the living nexus yeah also, apparently, this, is this also... issue had a Howard the Duck uh, button uh, <laughs> <laughs> cover. Um, this is also where I think... Um, so the Collector comes into the story here in a pretty big way. Mm-hmm. And um, this is, again, amazing to me because Howard... I don't think he's ever... I mean, In fact, later the Collector says, this is the first time we're meeting. And... MCU fans who have stayed for post-credit scenes and stuff have seen Howard with the Collector like almost exclusively. It seems they're almost like a duo in the MCU. Kinda, yeah. But um, but but they had never appeared together. So this is the comic that if if you're like, yeah, wait, what's up with that duck who hangs out with the Collector? You could get pointed at this wonderful comic, and it's a blast. And I feel like there was a lot of that going around this era where um, MCU stuff would get like reverse engineered to be more comics like. And rarely is it this successful. Like, I actually feel now like Howard and the Collector are arch nemeses, and I would watch them battling in every Howard series. <laughs> I hadn't even thought of it that way. That's a good point. Another tall order that's done, like, way better than... Oh, than, for uh, sure. They would need to. Um, Cap- are you excited for Captain Terra, The Last Avenger in theaters 2020, 2032? <laughs> that was one of the things that made me laugh out loud. <laughs> And, you know, you never know. It could happen. I don't don't know if it would, but... The rate we're going, that seems, like, very distinctly possible. I would watch a Shocket and Linda movie. 
Weirdly, yeah. Shocket and Linda are actually a more fun duo than Howard and Rocket would be. Yeah. And I love both Howard and Rocket. I mean, clearly we've read a lot of comics with both of them in the last year or two. Yeah. That would be the perfect way to bring Howard into the universe without actually having a Howard the Duck movie. You really want them to do a Howard the Duck movie. I really want them to do a new Howard the Duck movie. <laughs> Based this on this so... run. Obviously, this run. this run is such a blast. Anyway, we got to talk about Deep Space Wine, which is the title <laughs> of uh, issue three. I forgot each issue has a, has a subtitle. Um, <laughs> I guess there's a lot of like business in this issue yeah. because uh, now Linda and Shocket are catching up Howard and Tara on what's going on. They got to fly into space together. But um, is Canonis back as artist on this issue? Yes. Yeah, the only guest um, issue, the only guest issues are this one and then number seven with Kevin McGuire. Yeah. Um, just, so just Kanones is, um, and also I want to give a shout out to the lettering here. The space battle stuff with the lasers and the spaceship design and like the way that they uh, simulate speed with the motion blur and the lines is just like all so good. Uh, this is better than the Star Wars comics that were coming out at this time, and it's about a couple of ducks. And I really like those Star Wars comics, but yeah, I the love lettering those Star Wars here. Comics. The lettering throughout this whole series, Travis Lanham should be commended. Excellent stuff. Excellent I often stuff. commend Travis Lanham. He's very prolific, but I've never seen something by him that I can recall that was better than this. I mean, maybe you have, but... The, I love the way that the lettering is like different fonts and it, it curves in different directions, following the artwork and the lasers and blast through space and stuff and the engine wakes. And I didn't notice, but it's mixed case. I hate mixed case. It looks so good here. Yeah, that's incredible. Got, listeners, Elias hates mixed case. Brings it up all the time. Especially in the Ultimates universe. That mixed case is anathema. Anathema. But this, <laughs> excellent. Best. I will see this everywhere. I bet the, the X-Men, the Hickman X-Men era was based on this font. I can believe I mean, it. I always get excited when you roll deeper with letterers than me, which isn't hard to do. Just because, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, Elias's love for letterers is almost unparalleled. Um, yeah. There's a slight diversion in this issue, which is like not a drag at all. It's fun where uh, Howard has to face off with the stranger, who, like the collector and the grand master, is one of these uh, elders of the universe. Yeah, Cats. they get their ship blown up. Sadly. Um, yeah, I um. This issue doesn't do a lot to move the plot. It's just kind of taking a beat for all the characters to have a relationship with each other. But it ends with guest stars, this crazy team of Guardians of the Galaxy burst through. Yeah. And it opened with Howard the Duck as the, the Silver Surfer. And so we've got that kind of sitting in the background. We're like, what's going on with that? Yeah, you're just like, literally, Howard the Duck is the Silver Surfer? Sure looks like. Yeah. Not a dream, not a imaginary story? Well, we don't know yet. We'll find out. In issue um, four. Trapped you in the world any he's of grown this... accustomed to. Have you ever read any of this Guardians run with Ben Grimm and Venom on the team? You know, uh, if you had asked me before the terrible, horrible comicsology update, I would have said no. But when they forcefully ripped the archive and put it back in my collection, I found out that I actually did read the first half, you know, through Black Vortex of uh, yeah. of Bendis' run. That run is a drag. Uh, 
yeah, I as you could tell, I remember nothing of it. Yeah, incredible how exciting Guardians was, and then how it turns into that for a long time. It got exciting again. The next story has my favorite name of any of them. <laughs> also, it takes place before The Ultimates number two, which is a fun bit of just, like, random continuity that I didn't know. I still haven't read The Ultimates. I need to. I own it. Oh, Ultimates is wonderful. Um, But, oh, right, because Galactus becomes the life bringer, and Galactus is yeah. in this issue. That's why. That's but, why. Um, this issue, which is called Duck Duck Loose. <laughs> <laughs> They're all so good. I want to complain about the Comixology app for one second because oh, of course. I'm referencing the issues as we go in the app. And this is the Android app, which so far has been the best reading experience of all of them, and it's still kind of bad. My app crashes every time I reach the end of an issue. Wonderful. Every time I try to open I... the next issue, it crashes and I have to reboot it. I um, I'm reading it on Hoopla and I have no complaints. That's perfect. <sighs> I should have read it on Hoopla, but I already own the issues. Kind of. They won't let me download it. They never have. That better change. Well, Marvel, sit your foot on Amazon. Do it. Yeah, that's a. That's a it's never going to happen. This issue introduces <laughs> a character named Scout. Now. Scout is the stupid code name that somebody decided Gabby Kinney, a character whose code name was Honey Badger because she was cute and relentless, um, was given. Now everyone calls Gabby Scout, and I think that's a bummer because she's not a scout. This character, also not really a scout, but really good character with like a broad, funny comic book motivation who sticks around for most of the run and is pretty significant, and I really like spending time with this version, this character called Scout. Yeah, she's a lot of fun. It's nice to have a character that's a, a bit of a chaos gremlin. <laughs> that's yeah, what she I mean, is. That, yeah, she, she's a little stinker. Yeah, um, but she's doing Scout's... it for one specific purpose. Like, yeah. she's not like Gwenpool who's there to mess with everything and break the fourth wall. Like, she's got one thing she wants to do, and that's be the Herald of Galactus, and she's going to do whatever it takes to do to be that. Yeah, she's just so excited about Galactus. She thinks Galactus is the coolest shit. I get it. I mean, he's got a big hat. He eats planets. I like Galactus. He's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she's just trying to, like, prove her devotion to him. And <laughs> you're jumping ahead a little bit. She does it because a, a Silver Surfer gave, like, a piece of his quintessence to Alicia Masters back in the original Galactus saga. And so she just clocks Alicia Masters, a blind sculptor, over the head with one of her own sculptures and steals the essence of Silver Surfer to get his powers. Specifically, the essence of Silver Surfer that she had formed into Ben Grimm, which is very sweet and kind of a night, like a fun touch of the of meeting of the two. But she also bats her over the head with a clay scu- sculpture of sad Spider-Man. <laughs> Which I love. There should be Alicia should show up as an artist in the background of more Marvel books. I think just like her workshop was such a a delight to travel through. Yeah. Um. But um. This that's another example of like the Star Trek lower decks thing, right? Where like this weird bit of continuity where at the end of the, the story, Silver Surfer left behind his essence, and it's just like it's probably just on a shelf somewhere. No one's really picked up on that thread. So yeah. now it's the silk this character's origin story. Exactly. And Howard, you know, he's he's talking to Galactus, and then all of these people, I think it's a bunch of Cree. Yeah, it's a bunch of Cree show up because they all want the nexus of realities that's within Howard now. When he stepped through the thing, he basically got got the nexus absorbed into him instead of being sent home. 
<laughs> they yeah, fire at Galactus. <laughs> and so the one of the Kree is just like, did did you just fire at Galactus? And the other guy's like, but 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 the Nexus and Galactus just pew with his eyes. Great stuff, great space stuff, but you know without it being too too overdone. I'm really, as I'm going back through this era, there it's like it's like it's so sad how quickly they just squandered all their goodwill with the atrocity that was Silver War Two, which was a terrible comic. Yeah, because like I love all of this. Silver Surfer is like has a really fun vibe in this, and while Galactus is about to become the life bringer, like he's very funny, mm-hmm. as he was a lot in this era because he was hanging out with Squirrel Girl a bunch. Yeah. The all new, all different era is so weird. One day we gotta like break it down and do an episode on it because. There's a lot of good and there's a lot of bad. We should do a a read every number one and see what holds up. Oh, God. Okay. I think that sounds fun. It does sound Um, fun. We'll talk about it after the episode, everyone. Yeah. So Howard surfs away on the Silver Surfer's board because he can. And then he rides the ship like a surfboard. Before getting kidnapped. But yeah, before finally meeting up with his arch nemesis. The Collector. And, like, again, Howard has never seen The Collector before, but they're facing off, and immediately The Collector, who's drawn to look a lot more like uh, Jeff Goldblum, not Jeff Goldblum, I'm sorry, uh, Benicio Del Toro, Mm -hmm. um, like, they look great. This just looks like an iconic battle between Duck and weird space Lothario. (laughs) Yeah. Uh. Um... I'm trying so, to think, but, I'm like, yeah, then he just battles them for a bit. So, But the next issue um, has a bunch of Zadarsky writing this lineup of the Guardians of the Galaxy, which includes uh, Rocket Raccoon, Groot, The Thing, Kitty Pride, uh, Drax the Destroyer, and, and uh, Agent Venom. Venom. Agent Venom. I love Agent Venom. Agent Venom is the best Venom. For anyone who is wondering what Agent Venom is, because I only kind of sort of know uh flash thompson i think it's resurrected uh and becomes nah, venom just, again but he's a he's agent for the the u.s government the government uh, collects the venom symbiote okay. and flash thompson who is a soldier who uh, over the years they've changed what war it was it was originally vietnam and then it became iraq uh but he lost his legs in mm-hmm. uh, it's now in the modern continuity it's a roadside bomb in iraq uh-huh so the government says, we uh, want to offer you this, like, experimental prosthetic. It's the Venom symbiote. Uh-huh. And so his legs are Venom, just forming him goo legs and other goo appendages. Ooh, goo legs. And um, very quickly he goes rogue and steals the symbiote and has his own crazy adventures as, like, a secret agent who is Venom. It's great. That's my favorite Venom run ever. Hmm. Interesting. I didn't know that. Um, yeah, that's that's wild. Marvel Comics can get wild the in the first issue uh flash thompson who uses the venom shape-shifting powers like puts on a nice little tuxedo yeah. is like in a gala at some embassy with a bunch of like spies there and then uh he's got a dance with a girl to preserve his cover and the girl says why flash thompson you certainly know your waltz from your cha-cha <laughs> uh which if you'll recall is what liz says about peter parker in the first issue of spider-man wow that's a callback 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's it, that's like the kind of that's the wavelength it's on, and it goes a little bit like Hannibal Lecter. I, I don't know why we're spending so much time talking about Agent Venom and this Howard thing, but he showed up and he's fun here. He's got a fun dynamic with the rest of the Guardians, which was not the case in this actual series. Yeah, that that seems to be the pattern. So most of this issue is a fight, and you know between the Guardians and the Collector and Howard's there, and they're basically on a rescue mission to save all of the people that he that Howard had left behind picking up on that thread, as well as that uh, Tara and Shocket left behind. Uh, and it's only been a little, because of time travel shenanigans, it's only been a little bit of time after, since they were first, they went disappearing. Um, so a bunch of the people there remember them. And they have a bunch of nice moments. And here we find out that Howard the Duck finally gets control over the living Nexus, or over the Nexus of Realities, and can send people home by touching them, and then thinking of a place to go. Which is a really, uh, just like, right, just like a nice little Wizard of Oz superhero mumbo-jumbo where, like, if you uh, walk through Howard while thinking about home, you will go home. But what does that mean? I bet we can have a compelling plot twist with that. Yeah, so he sends a whole bunch of people, he sends all of the aliens home. The captives. Yeah, the, yeah, the captives. Tara, we get a really nice hug with Tara, and then Tara is sent home to the home of George Clooney. Uh, that made me laugh out loud. Um, <laughs> I especially loved, just I love a good gag where somebody's face has to be covered by the comic word balloon. So for legal reasons, there's no Clooney likeness. And it's just Tara saying, um, I loved you in uh, every movie, that movie, even though you had the rubber nipples in there. Hi, I'm Tara. <laughs> <laughs> it's good stuff. Uh, and then, you know, Howard tries to go, he walks through the Nexus, he tries to go home. And he suddenly appears on a beach in Maine. Um, and he walks up the beach and uh, to, he goes to the very scenic house near the lighthouse, which looks exactly like idyllic Maine. And he sees um, a beautiful redheaded woman wearing like a very comfy looking dress. And we immediately recognize because we just read the Gerber stuff not too mm -hmm. long ago. It's Bev. It's Bev. I and when yeah, when what? I turned the pages, I just started crying. <laughs> That's how good these pages crying? were. Crying. I yeah, they're really and it's, it's the the artwork does such a great job of setting this tone where it's like forlorn and ominous, and you understand it's about to be a big emotional whammy, and the uncertainty that they're exchanging with each other. You're just like, oh man, this was like neither of them were expecting this, neither of them wanted this, but now, as always, it's like thrust upon Howard and Bev. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I was really uh, I gasped, and what clinches this issue, this page, and this volume is the uh, next time on because it says next time hold your hats because it's part two of the crossover of the year Harold and Squirrel Girl to which you're just like oh no I have to do a crossover I want to resolve the Beverly thing and then it says next next issue hold on to your hats because uh, some more because I we visit the Savage Land with special guest artist Kevin McGuire and then I was like what you're gonna make me wait even longer for the Bev resolution and then it says next 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 issue the return of beverly switzer bye <laughs> yeah so at least tempering your expectations not leaving you on a cliffhanger to be angry in the next issue and then the next three issues including the one crossover issue are all bops they're great 
Yeah, um, we're not gonna get, like, so into Squirrel Girl. I yeah. do gotta say, I read Squirrel Girl in, in paperback, uh, mostly, and single issues. I've never read it digitally before, and on the Hoopla-guided view, it does this thing where at the bottom of uh, Ryan North and Erica Henderson's Squirrel Girl comics, there's runners in the gutters of every page, which is just, like, notes and jokes and just, like, them riffing on things. Yeah. And what's delightful in this uh, this issue is they do that, but now Chip is writing one, too, so they're kind of arguing. Yeah. Um, and in Guided View, you always know when you're turning the page, because the last image you'll see is a close-up of the runners. Oh, that's fun. Actually, yeah, and it's a really nice rhythm. I actually would love to go back and read that whole Squirrel Girl run, because it's the best comic ever, but uh, do it in Guided View, just to try it. It is the best comic ever. But the, the Squirrel Girl issue is, or the crossover, Howard the Duck is essentially embroiled in a plot by, I forgot her name, some, some basically an Earth-based collector, and it's a riff on Craven's The Great, you know, or The Most Dangerous Game, Craven's Old Deal. Craven gets kidnapped too, and so does Howard the Duck. Uh, and this is where Biggs is first introduced, and we also get the best gag Ever the Cravan. Oh my god, yes. The Cravan is from the Squirrel Girl series, and I don't know why it makes so much sense that Craven the Hunter would have a terrible van with bikini chicks and himself painted on it, but it, it's so obvious. It's it's the best. I love it. I love the Cravan. Uh I hope we get to see it again, but we never will because this Craven is dead, and I blame Nick Spencer. I kinda like the comic where they kill this Craven. <laughs> Obviously, there's gonna be a future comic where Squirrel Girl realizes her best friend Craven is dead, and this is his weird, mean son clone, and then befriend him, and they're gonna have a great relationship, and that'll be twice as fulfilling. Yeah, I do hope. So, Joe Quinones actually drew the art for the Craven, which makes That's this very even funny. better. I'm glad you looked that up. <laughs> so the that crossover is a lot of fun. Um, it's you know a lot of fighting, a lot of back and forth. They're all kidnapped. Shock it. No, Rocket is kidnapped with them. <laughs> Along with Hank McCoy, Beast from X-Men, and... Weapon 2! Kind of, and Weapon 2. But I like how Hank McCoy is murmuring. He's just like, look, I know that I'm blue and furry, but that's because I'm a mutant. This is kind of a hate crime, my dude. You can't kidnap <laughs> me for being a mutant. He just like He's very legit about it, even though he's Hank McCoy and he's pretty annoying. And it's I just like... I like that he acknowledged it because my brain kind of went there. Yeah. Yeah, it is good. Um, Weapon 2 is now canon. Like, uh, that that they experimented on animals and one of them was a squirrel is, like, something that all series Wolverine comics will not have to address. I love it. It's great. It's too good. Uh, uh, this is I a great example of, of Howard the Duck not knowing how to use his catchphrase, making up a brand <laughs> new catchphrase that kind of stinks, and being playing homage to both the Iron Duck costume and... And some horrible amalgamation of all of the of like cheap knockoff DC. He's got a rope. He's got a Green Lantern ring. He's got Batman head. He's got Hawk Hawk Girl or Hawkman's um, whatever it's called. Ma that mace. The mace. He's got a cape like Superman. Great stuff. But it's all like legally distinct and clearly looking like Howard the Duck put it together. This is also where the uh, We Three joke uh, comes out the hardest because uh, Biggs the Cat is put into like a huge mecha suit that looks exactly like the We Three robots. Yeah. 
And then we find out that he gets a nice slimmed down version for 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 later and walking around with uh with Howard. Overall, it's like the perfect crossover and like the the denouement with the uh, Craven at the end is <laughs> yeah. just like it's just like a fantastic uh you like really feel like Craven's gone on a, a terribly emotional journey and has been forever changed. Yeah. Um but this is exactly what a crossover should do. It's like uh, each of them got to experience the other one's book for an issue and hated it, and it was very fun. <laughs> yeah, uh, but we all loved it. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're uh, hashtag blessed to have gotten that crossover. There's a really fun um, crossover between Dan Slot Spider-Man, Mark Wade Daredevil, and Greg Rucka Punisher, which has a similar vibe. Where yeah, each hero gets to experience the other one's book. <laughs> oh wow. Um, One day. It's quite fun, and they're all trying to steal, like, a special flash drive from all the super criminals. <laughs> um, but that's—we're going to read that some other time, hopefully. Um, I want to take us home and talk about the last run of these issues, which are the best part. They're fantastic. Well, we didn't talk about issue seven, which I'll briefly oh, sorry, just go me, over, which is— is, is is covered in my second trade. Oh yeah, it's Adventures in the Savage Land, where basically Chip Zdarsky is like, I'm bringing in as many characters as I can, and plot plops them down into the Savage Land, which is basically dinosaurs in Antarctica, uh, and just has fun with all of these characters m- messing around, pl- having Jurassic Park homages. Who are they yelling at? Which was- some some uh, random guy. The Jurassic Park. Uh, some guys made some uh, helmets that let you uh, control dinosaurs, right. and then they started being assholes. So they told everyone that the dinosaurs were controlling them. The Jurassic Park jokes were again just like pitch perfect Gerber humor. Um, but there was one beat in this issue that made me furious, Elias. Hold on, I just love how Kevin McGuire draws shithead Peter Parker at the first page. Yeah, I was it's... laughing so hard. <laughs> Yeah, he looks like Steve Ditko Peter Parker shithead, and he also, like, looks like billionaire Peter Parker from Worldwide shithead, which are so funny. Yeah. All right, what part made you furious? There is a part where um, Matt Murdock jokes about his seeing eye dog to She-Hulk, and She-Hulk's like, you don't have a seeing eye dog, and then Matt uh, just rips about what would it be like if Daredevil had a seeing eye dog. Then there's a caption that says, here begins my official petition to make Lockjaw Matt's seeing eye dog, and this petition is signed Chip meaning Chip Zdarsky. Chip Zdarsky, who has been the writer of Daredevil for three years now, longer, and has not done this. Oh. He has been completely within his power to make Lockjaw and Matt seeing eye dog, and he has dropped the ball, and I don't think his heart was ever in it. And if he's going to disrespect his own good ideas that way, I don't know what to do for him. He hasn't committed to the bit. He hasn't he failed committed to, to the, to bit. Lockjaw to the should, bit. Lockjaw should move in with Matt Murdock, is we, what I'm saying. We need to pitch. It's because he's taking his run too seriously. Now it's amazing, yeah. but he's been taken too seriously, and there may also be a, um, you know, a moratorium on all the inhuman stuff. So, would it be his run would not be less amazing if Lockjaw the Inhuman Dog was in it? No, it wouldn't. It would open a brand new can of worms, though. Um. Yeah, obviously. Anyway, <laughs> he but he's gotta. He made his solemn oath here. I have witnessed it, and I am waiting for him to fulfill it. Yeah. So. Um. The Return of Bev. Last three issues. Last four issues. Yeah. Um, so right away, did you love when they opened with just panels of a bunch of uh, moments from the uh, the Gerber run that we read at least two of these issues? 
Yes. Hands down. I loved that. I loved all the stuff. There's nothing in this issue I didn't like, which is kind of true for the entire run. But yeah, we didn't read... I don't think we read the the bull one. No, I don't think we read that um, one either. And the middle one could be literally any issue. Right. But the top one is the Conan the Barbarian riff and from issue... And Dr. Bong. I think that was... From, like, issue 33. Yeah, I don't know if that was the original Dr. Bong one or the, the final issue Dr. Bong one. That particular pose is a parody of the... Um, of a panel from the comic that introduces Mandarin. Oh, okay. Um, that's that the that green brick wall with the ha- like the, mm-hmm. the manacles on it. That's that's from Mandarin's palace in his first appearance. It's also this is another another place where I marvel at uh, Kinones's ability to homage. I wanted to give you the opportunity because uh, uh, the shift in art style is incredible, and then he, he's going to bring it home because you, sh- you turn the page, and then we're back to the Kinones art style, and it's it doesn't look like a Marvel comic for this sequence. It looks like an image comic. Yeah, especially with, like, in big, bold Helvetica font in the center. Chip and Joe present Beverly. It's the most serious they've been this whole whole time. And yeah, and it's totally earned, and it's playing to like the legacy and history of this character, Howard the Duck. Which, after reading his legacy and history, I was not that excited about honoring it. But now I'm like, Howard the Duck is a wonderful Marvel hero, and he is a legend. Yeah. Uh, his his and Bev's uh, love for each other is uh, you know it stretches beyond time. It's been just like, I, does this issue sell it on me? Most of it is just they're talking in the kitchen, drinking tea. Um, Howard's being a bit they, of a shithead. And there's a flashback to Howard being a shithead during the Gerber run, and uh, Bev trying to. Um, she just she, her dream was to be a veterinarian, and I love the weird subtext that this like chick who was having sex with a duck, I assume, like always wanted to take care of animals, <laughs> and uh, she never got the opportunity because she was fucking a duck. Yeah, bull market. That's his name. Oh my god. Bull market. Bull market. Yeah, I don't think we read that story. That's very funny. Yeah. Um, that's such a good page where he draws he draws them in front of it but mostly in shadow or in profile or from behind like they're watching the scene play out in their memories yeah and it's got the different art styles and they're walking in silhouette it's gorgeous and um, it's one of the best uses of this style shift I've ever seen like one of the coolest effects yeah by showing them at the same time um the issue ends with the introduction of, like, kind of a random villain, but one who kind of is important in the end. Yes. Which is the Iron Punisher. <laughs> yeah. A sentry who is having ex- an existential cri- crisis after being defeated by the X-Men. Uh, and he ad- it-, it attacks Bev and Howard uh, until they're able to... Well, they don't do anything. Scout actually takes takes him out... Uh, Right, and just, like, didn't realize Scout was going to be so important to this run, but I'm not disappointed. Yeah, and kind of proving Beverly's point that, you know, Howard, he's a magnet for trouble. Yeah, and he doesn't really know why, and that seems like a weird gauntlet to throw down, because we know why, which is that he's a comic book superhero character, so obviously trouble's going to find him, that's what makes the stories fun. Mm Mm-hmm. Little do we know. Little do we know. So Scout gives him a special orb, uh, and then we get a nine-panel grid. 
great use of the nine panel grid of Beverly. Uh-huh. We haven't leaned on, on that very much, but here we are. Yeah. Bev stretches, was reading a book about diagnosing and treating birds. Aw. And then we find out that she actually has developed powers, but is just doesn't want to use them. She's like, just be normal. Because she knows what comes with all the baggage that comes with the superhero stuff, or even just the superpowers stuff. Um, and the issue ends with the best reveal that this issue could go in order to transition from the really serious heartbreaking stuff and it's just Howard sleeping on a couch we get Biggs we get some Aunt May we find and then the newest client for good old Howard Leah Thompson who played Beverly in the Howard the Duck movie yeah also the mom in uh, Back to the Future in which like underrated performance she's so fantastic in that yeah um, and thank God that it's Joe Canonis drawing this because his Leah Thompson, like, really plausibly looks like Leah Thompson. Yeah. And they also, amazingly, at the end of the, the Leah Thompson episode in the letters page, which you don't have, um, are don't. photos of Leah Thompson with Joe Canonis, and he's giving her the original art for the page where uh-huh. he debuts. And they... Yeah, she. he was like, they got her permission. She was so happy to be able to show up in it. It was all great stuff. Shit, I'm going to lose the bet, and we're going to have to watch that Howard the Duck movie, but I'm kind of charmed by it now. Yeah, well, I don't know if you're charmed by the movie or just Leah Thompson. <laughs> well, Leah Thompson is written and drawn very charmingly here because... Um, so Leah Thompson uh, has been dreaming of Howard the Duck, and she wants to hire him to figure out why. Yeah. And then Aunt May comes in with a drawing, and it's, oh my god, it's like me trying to draw. It's like me trying to draw. (laughs) It's all great. And then we get the return of Tara. Good stuff. Now that she's shapeshifting, she doesn't want to be naked when she shapeshifts like Mystique, so she's uh, getting an unstable molecule costume. But the unstable molecule costume is uh, rainbow, (laughs) for reasons, and... It, I do find the characterization of uh, Johnny Storm very, very weird here, but also pretty, pretty consistent with his philandering ways. It's the perfect example of um, how this run is really good at like uh, doing Marvel continuity in a way that is like fun, more fun than the actual continuity. Yeah. Because Johnny is now going steady with Medusa, and this was meant as, like, a big moment in the Inhuman story. Like, Medusa is no longer with Black Bolt. She's going to be with Johnny Storm. And it never really amounted to much. No. But no, here, really it's just a very funny joke where Johnny is knows that everyone thinks he's a philanderer, so he is, like, trying over much to prove otherwise, and in doing so, making himself look like a total dick. Yep. Pretty much. <laughs> Manages to drop L- drop it er- that he's dating Medusa every speech bubble. L.A. <laughs> <LA> temptress. <laughs> a flame on, a flame for one. <laughs> um, and then some goofy Howard shit happens. They find a picture of a baby that looks like Professor X, and then they find um, a photo studio that will cosplay your babies as superheroes and take awful pictures of them. And There's a very funny joke mm-hmm. about how it's opening in the future. Did I explain this to me? I, I mean, there's 90% off Spider-Man shoots, which I found <laughs> which, another dig at Spider-Man. I love that. 
Um, it's Chip hates Spider-Man, his favorite character who he has cosplayed. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't... I don't remember that joke. Where they're um, not open... It's okay. Oh, There's also... they're Brooklyn's freshest baby photo studio. They're not open yet. Established September 2016. It's June. They're so fresh, <laughs> they're not even open yet. Yeah. Boo. That made me... That was just, like, a very funny way to not do the same joke over and over again about, like, all the publishing stuff that we fixate on. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's also true. Uh, so they, um, they go into the back, and they find a TV set, and it's they're like, what's going on? And Beverly's like, this is very familiar. And I think it might be the set from Howard the Duck, the movie. I it think. is the set from Howard the Duck. Uh, and then, twist of all twists, Howard the Duck from the movie walks on screen. <laughs> Yeah, and, you know, it seems so obvious now, but I was pretty shocked. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we have Skrulls. We had a whole arc of Skrulls. It could have been a Skrull. It could have been him from another reality. There are yeah, all sorts actually, of options in the Marvel Universe. It ended up being some other kind of weird little shapeshifter guy. Well, I don't think it was even a shapeshifter. He was just wearing a duck hat. He's just oh, an yeah, actor. He was just, he's just a little Muppet guy wearing a duck hat. Um, But that's when it's revealed, and this is just like... To me, this is what I want every time I open a Marvel comic, is I love it if you can take two characters and set them up in some sort of conflict that I've I've never seen together, that I'm just like, oh yes, these two need to be in a comic together. And it is when X-Men villain Mojo shows up, and Mojo kind of ends up being the final boss of sorts for this series. Yeah, kind of. Uh, And, um... And after clowning on the movie with Leah Thompson so much... I'm just like, well, obviously you can do a meta thing. And also because Howard's humor is so meta and Mojo is so meta, this makes sense to me. I always want, this is like a great uh, showdown of the century. It really is. And the best part of this, I really like how Leah Thompson's just like, you hired me? No, you you kidnapped and erased my memory. And she just beats up Mojo. And the kicker is none of it counted towards her IMDb page. (laughs) And, like, Leah Thompson's beaten up Mojo, which I don't think Wolverine's beaten up Mojo that many times. No. Uh, no, I don't think so, yeah. Um, we also get Helix, which is just, like, a really hot male version of Spiral, one of Mojo's minions. Yep, and, uh, what's... Tara, Tara's just like, he's hot while they fight. She's like, here's my phone number. She calls him daddy a couple times. That made me laugh. It did. (laughs) It was very funny. Um, but, uh, you know, as uh, Howard and Mojo are, like, getting closer to their final showdown, we zoom out because, like, what is it that Mojo's doing exactly that's been ruining Howard's life so much? And it gets very convoluted, but it turns out that for all intents and purposes, he has outsourced the writing of his Mojoverse shows to a planet that is populated by the writers of Marvel Comics circa the mid-2010s. Yep, and it's established this way through the caption boxes, which we thought, you know, they're just caption boxes. But it turns out it wasn't Chip Zdarsky. It was Chip Zdarsky. A purple alien that has a weak chin but otherwise looks exactly like Chip Zdarsky. Yep, and so the the... Final page is just a splash page of a bunch of panels from around the series. We've got Sad Spider-Man. Love Sad Spider-Man. 
uh, and Joe and Chip are just say, oh, shit. The caption box. <laughs> oh, shit, Chip. Next issue. Oh, shit. <laughs> but, you know, censored. Um, and um, as we're approaching the end of the story, we find out that Alien Chip has a cat named Biggs, just like the cute cat that's been in this series throughout. And I think the Biggs cat is the real cat of Joe. I think Biggs is a um, real cat as well. Like a real, real cat. Yeah. Yeah, and having the writer do an insert of his cat into the comic, which then becomes like a meta joke about the writer who's he's writing, mm-hmm. inserting a cat into Howard's life, just like really got me in, uh, in a way. And like a real like Neil Gaiman, Kieran Gillen, it's about stories, isn't it? Yeah, well, you know, Chip is apparently a big enough Morrison fan to homage We Three, and then also now homage Animal Man. Yes, and the there's like some pretty direct Animal Man uh, parallels. Yeah, um, and a good Batman panel. I don't want <laughs> yeah. I, I, Oh yeah, it is a Batman slap when he's <laughs> slapping him. Chip is and the alien Chip is like a son of a bitch. He's not a nice guy. No, no, he is not. Um, and of course, knowing you know, Chip writing himself like like this is part of the joke. Um, I don't want to, like, go through... There's a whole bunch of Marvel cameos, and, but, like, um, there's a very funny one where an alien version of Ta-Nehisi Coates shows up. <laughs> and everyone's like, ugh, he's, he's so good at this. Yeah. And um, and there's a bunch of their other Marvel friends, the Squirrel Girl writers, uh, show up. Ryan's just running around, and he's super chill, and he's on a, a hoverboard. Great stuff. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but yeah. most of the issue we it's the denouement. It's a lot of fighting. We're kind of, we're reaching the end. Everyone's kind of you know everything's colliding together. Characters are showing back up, uh, and Chip and Joe show up on the planet to try and you know fix all of their mistakes. We get some really good yeah. action. Chip's being just an asshole, and Joe's like, oh, I have to stop this. Not Biggs. Yeah, because he's just like, uh, he can't let the fictional version of his real cat get harmed in the superhero battle. Yeah. Um, but Chip gets, like, really vicious, and he starts, like, yelling at Howard. And what's interesting is it's this, like, the way that deep comic book fans who get really into the business of this will talk with creators at cons and stuff about... Uh, what the characters mean to the creators. And that's what Chip gets to yell about villainously, like you said, which is pure Animal Man. Um, And their confrontation uh, culminates in Chip murdering his protagonist. Yeah, and right before that is Howard basically yelling at him, telling him that a more interesting version of, you know, his life was written beforehand, before this, which is the exact thing that I mean, we kind of said it about post-Gerber Howard the Duck uh, with Marv... It wasn't Marv Wolfman. No, I think it was Marv Wolfman. Where, like, something felt missing. Mm -hmm. He's like, he's he's kind of parroting that back. But also, you know, Zdarsky has been writing this for 10, 15 issues. Uh, But yeah, the, the final... The final panel is Howard stabbed, being held by Tara... I don't know why. And like, <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why I'm I, um, crying. 
well, I, what's so? This is the thing I was talking about earlier in the episode. Just like I saw, you, this happens a lot of the times when a very dis, oh, uh, so singular good. voiced creator gets a small run of like twelve to eighteen issues on a character. You always like do the major death on the penultimate oh, yeah. issue, especially you do the death of the hero. Everybody reacts to it. You get to see the funeral and everyone mourn, and then the hero it's reversed for the hero to go on many more wonderful adventures. I knew all that was uh, like could be in the mix, and it happens. But you're right. I turned the page, and I think it's the power of Kinones' art. But mm-hmm. like, holy crap! Yeah, I was like floored by Howard's. And then you, um, you, I in the trade in the guided view, I see the cover of the last issue. It's a funny cover, and then you turn, and it just says Howard's end. Yeah, in like the most self-serious lettering I've ever seen. Oh yeah, blacks page, little bit of caption at the top, uh, and then. We get some more battles, and Howard's dead. He's on the ground. He's colored with, you know, gray gray instead of white. Um, we get a great little bit where uh, Biggs is just rolling around in the sun. He's like, noise bad, sunbeam good. And the Iron Patriot's like, noise bad, sunbeam good? Like, it's blowing his mind. We go back to the... Okay, well, and- mm-hmm. This this death bot that was like so flippantly introduced, I'm like, oh, there's a big robot. Um, is like suddenly just totally absorbed by this cat in this like very wonderful burgeoning consciousness, recognizing a similar consciousness kind of way. Mm-hmm. And just like shoving in this weird Terminator, um, I know now why you cried. Yeah. In the end, like I I couldn't even take it. It was so good. <laughs> <laughs> and one of my one of my favorite gags of this issue Joe so Joe goes back to the planet the Marvel offices and he flies into the he's trying to undo he's like how do I undo this I can only undo it by writing us out of the hole here and he's like well how do I get everyone distracted so I can get back to my console and he starts a riot by ch- chanting about creators rights I definitely recognize one of the rioting creators is Dan Slott yeah I mean, you can you can see like, um, oh god, well you can see a whole bunch of the, the creators, um, like Kelly Sue and and a lot of the artists at the time. Um, I can't I make think, out uh, everyone because I just do not remember who was working at that time, and they're close, but I also don't know most of the people's faces. I have one of them might be Annie Wu, I think. Maybe. Um. But, but so anyway, when, when we cut back to Howard and the scenes where like Harold's Howard's soul is uh, going towards a golden light are actually really beautifully drawn. Yeah, I love the little like uh, the little fuzz. Everything's given. It's painted. Yeah, frame that and I put that on my wall. Oh yeah. Um, but what's so funny is like obviously it's a comic book. It doesn't matter uh, that uh, Howard died. Doctor Strange was like uh, astral projecting and noticed Howard's soul going by and caught it. Whatever. Yeah. Uh. That doesn't matter. What matters is uh, the emotions that that move made us feel for a minute, and that we let ourselves feel. Yeah, and because we knew it was coming, he could kind of lampoon it, and it wasn't immediately reversed. Like, a character was clear, like, there was a setup, they were clearly working their way towards it, and, you know, we knew what was going to kind of come of it, but it was the journey there that really was impactful. So... Chip ends up getting the power cosmic that uh, Scout had given to um, Howard. Uh, and and that he's, orb. Yeah, the and he's going to be like, I'm going to destroy everything. And Howard's like, yeah, but it was also a beacon. 
and Scout right. comes and back. And Scout, who again, I was just like, yay, it's Scout, my favorite character in the series, apparently, shows up and... Um, as with a lot of Marvel stories where somebody gets the ultimate power, a more reasonable being shows up and removes it. And the scout just, like, takes back the power cosmic bits. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we're check- we get to check in with some of our characters. Um, Chip and Joe get arrested and taken to Marvel jail. And um, by a bunch of weird Judge Dreads, the robot, the Iron Punisher, um, adopts uh, the real... Bigs the cat that uh they that is given away in like this really tearful moment that caused me to get up and go pet my cat for a while. Yeah, Bigs Prime. Um, and um, and due to all this experience, um, like does Howard has he learned anything? Has anything changed? Well, uh, the power of the writers have granted him he gets one wish, and this is the note that the series is ending on. Yeah, and. It's a really good moment. He uses yeah, it to there's... give Beverly her dream. Yeah, and in this really selfless way, he walks off with Tara into the sunset, and his supporting cast looks at him in a great last page, and then you turn the page, and there's one more, and it's just of Beverly getting everything she's ever wanted and being happy, um, and in the last moment it's implied that Howard is uh got a sprained uh, wing and he's about to come into for treatment and maybe they'll uh have some sort of relationship again as friends or something else or nothing at all or maybe they'll but like it's all going to be okay yeah and for all you trade readers i don't know if the final letters page was preserved but nope. all the entire you have to tell me hmm You'll have to tell me. I haven't. It's not. Yeah. So the entire crew gets a really nice send off. They all say, you know, they say their goodbyes. And it's really, it's there's a bit of put on by Chip, but also at the same time, you know, you can see all of the parts where he's he's very effusive and kind of being truthful. He's like, he all he was clearly he was very afraid that he was not going to last very long on the book, so he threw everything in the kitchen sink into the first issue. All the characters he wanted to run, right? That's why he's like, uh. Hey, I got to write an issue of Howard the Duck and also make Spidey dialogue and also make Spidey cry. But this was the whole, this was the plan, this was their run, and you can you can feel it. It doesn't feel like it was cut short. It feels like it ended early, like I wish there was more, but it doesn't feel like someone came in and was like, no, you don't get any more. Um, yeah, well, he makes he makes the most out of it. Yeah. It's economical storytelling, and I like no, it's not a bummer. No, no part of it's a bummer. Yeah, one of my favorite. I'm gonna read one paragraph from this real quick, please. So this is from Chips. Goodbye. He's like, when I was first approached about writing this book, Will asked if I take a stab at redesigning Howard. So I did. I was pretty happy with the results. But then when Joe came on board, he also took a stab at redesigning him. It was so much better than mine that I questioned all of my life and career choices. His work was effortless and lively, perfectly realizing what was needed in the character. He made me look like pure garbage, and I'll never forgive him. Every time I would write a script, I'd have a visual in my head of how I'd draw it. And then the pages would come back from Joe much better than what I had envisioned. What, what, what I would have done. How dare he? <laughs> and then that he goes on to like have Chip. a genuine paragraph, you know, complimenting Joe and everything. But it's really interesting here that, you know, they got to redesign the costume and, you know, all these, basically they left a an indelible mark on Howard. And I think, I still think, I we didn't finish the Gerber run, but I would say this, maybe just because it's more modern, but I think this is probably the best Howard the Duck run 
hands down. By by contemporary comic, I mean it's hard to hold an old comic to the standards of a contemporary comic, yeah. but by contemporary standards, uh, if somebody wanted to get into Howard, I would not hesitate to show them this. I loved this comic. Yeah, it's amazing. So that was Howard the Duck, 2015-2016, the most recent. Uh, in the um, in that last letters column, the they promised more Howard to come, and Howard has not shown up in a single issue since. I think maybe he's shown up in the background of a couple, but he hasn't played a major part in any comic since this, sadly. I'll wait patiently. There's a lot of good stuff coming out now, and uh, it'll be great when he comes back. Yeah, I um, I hope. That we just we did a lot of Howard. I uh, I gotta say I'm happy we read it in the order we did because seeing the arc and how the character grew yeah. made me like I I have a new appreciation for what Howard can bring out in the universe and uh, like just why he's a perspective that's cool to to look to every so often. Yeah, exactly. Um. But his grounded view is not going to be the perspective of which we're looking at the Marvel Universe next time. No, we're going to fly away uh, to his bird's eye of the bird's eye views when, for our next book club, we will be reading our very first prose book, All the Marvels, by Douglas Wolk. Uh, and then next episode, we're going to be stepping back into contemporary comics in, you know... A bit of an X way, but not X rated. <laughs> not X rated. We are not that kind of podcast. Wait until the Kieran Gillen issue comes out and then ask me again. <laughs> um, you'll have to come back next time to see if our podcast becomes rated X. It's probably just going to be rated E for explicit. But where can they find you, Jaina, on the larger interwebs? Folks can find me on Twitter at rambling underscore moose, and I am published on multiversitycomics.com, which is a pretty great website. I've also been published recently on Comic Book Herald. Come say hey to me over there. We're doing fun stuff. Elias, what about you? Where can you be found? They can find me on Twitter at Quetzalish. That's Q-U-E-T-Z-E-L-I-S-H. I almost had it being quack, but uh, I decided that was, that was, you know, that's Harold's deal. Um, they can also find me writing at multiversitycomics.com where Riverdale is ongoing. I have no idea how many episodes it's going to last. I thought it was only 13 episodes in the season, but it might be 22. Who knows? Um, they can... Yeah, that's pretty much all I'm doing at this point, I think. Maybe there will be more. What? We'll see. We'll see you next time on Make Mine Multiversity. Excelsior.